Today we begin the final section of the Apostle Matthew's Gospel known as the Great Commission. Not sure how many of you have heard of the Great Commission. Recently, George Barna's organization did a poll, and as I remember reading it was, I think it was 51% of people who call themselves Christians never even heard of the Great Commission. And so I'd also like to think of it as the Great Declaration and the Great Invitation. This is our 139th message in the Gospel of Matthew. We started in December of 2016, more than uh, three years and four months ago, and you can backtrack and listen to any you might have a question on on our website. Well, you say, Pastor Jim, why in the world did you spend so long on Matthew's Gospel? Well, in verse 20, Jesus, it says, Jesus says this, he was teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So that takes a long, long time. There's also something else special about today. Uh, Today is my birthday, and this coming Tuesday is my Christian birthday, the day I became a follower of Jesus Christ 32 years ago. So this week I choose to be 32. I invite you all after service today to have a party for me. Break your diets, eat cake. Enjoy yourselves. My plan was to finish the Gospel of Matthew today as a birthday present from Jesus. Maybe to some of you, you couldn't wait till I was done. But, but the Lord and a virus seem to have other plans. So we are going to change plans, and we're going to go slow for a few weeks through these final verses, because it is actually one of the most important parts of the Word of God understanding the person of Jesus, and I hope that you will join us. So if you're here joining us for the first time, I would like to just bring you up to speed, give you a little bit of history. Jesus has died on the cross in Jerusalem, and he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he sent a message and told the apostles to meet him back home in Galilee. So Jesus would tell them about a big change. Let's be honest, many of us don't like change. And right now, we are in a season of very, very large change. And perhaps we don't like change because we feel out of control. But Jesus will teach us in the Great Commission that followers of Jesus are never, ever alone. That guarantees us of something very, very important. And the resurrection of Jesus guarantees us of something very, very important. We are going to be okay. May not seem it now, but ultimately we are going to be okay. You see, the change for the apostles was the days of Jesus and his little band of followers walking around Galilee, hearing Jesus' great teaching, watching Jesus do all kinds of miracles, those days are now over. Despite their fears, despite your fears, this change is for the better. And it comes to the apostles with Jesus' invitation to become true followers of him and to be on mission. And the title of our message today is The Great Commission, Part 1, with a subtitle of Worship and Doubt. When Jesus Christ 
died on the cross and rose from the dead, life, or let's call it abundant eternal life, emerged out of darkness and death, and so did the church. What do we mean by the church? The church is defined in the scriptures as those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're, we're, you're most welcome here today. And I understand that the existence of the church and the rapid spread of Christianity does not prove to you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And you would say, well, a lot of people could be wrong. And I agree with you. A lot of people could be wrong. People are wrong about a lot of different things. But we also have the Old Testament prophecies that were hundreds of years before Jesus lived. We have the records of the eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus being seen, risen from the dead people, even willing to die for him. And and eyewitness accounts was the way of proving things uh, in the ancient world. In the Great Commission, we also see Matthew connecting some of the dots for us about the person of Jesus. We just sang about his authority. He just said he's going to be with us always. And we just said that. And, and so we see the presence of Jesus with us even after he ascends into heaven. And the call, as we'll be talking about the next few weeks, to preach this good news. Gospel means good news. So if you're new with us, you, wonder, you might be wondering, how did Matthew get us here? Way back in chapter 1, he told us that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And they said, we will call him Emmanuel. Maybe you know that song from Christmas time. And that, that means God with us. And the angel told Joseph that he was coming to save his people from their sins. The scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ, then known as Jesus of Nazareth, was truly God and truly man. So God, if you will, put on humanity. And for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus lived in obscurity. Quietly, living a perfect life, living in a poor town called Nazareth. He was a carpenter, obeying his mother, Mary, and his adopted father, Joseph. Later on, he would say that God was his father, and a lot of the religious leaders didn't like him for that. But about the age of 30, Jesus burst onto the scene, and for a little over three years, Jesus taught like no one else. He healed the sick like no one else had ever done before. He told people that he had the power to forgive their sins, and people objected because they said, only God can do that. He was like, of course, only God can do that. That's why I can do it. And he loved people. I love it when it says of Jesus that he was filled with compassion. And at this time and in these days, don't forget that about Jesus, that he is indeed filled with compassion. Now, the religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus because people loved Jesus. And the people were starting to follow Jesus instead of the religious leaders. And one thing the religious leaders hated about Jesus is he was known as a friend of sinners. I don't know about you, but that's one of the things I love the most about Jesus, that he's a friend of sinners. That's how I know he can be a friend of mine. But there was a problem, I think, that still exists today, and and it's this problem, is people didn't really get Jesus. Not even his closest followers. 
not even the apostles, especially when he talked about going to the cross. He said, I'm going to go, the religious leaders are going to, and the Romans are going to crucify me, that I'm going to rise from the dead. And they would always object with him or wonder what in the world was he, was he talking about. And the week that Jesus died on the cross was Passover week. And Jerusalem was packed. He came in the first day on a donkey and people were yelling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And people were wondering, is this our Messiah? But they wanted a different kind of Messiah, a Messiah that was going to kick the Romans out because they were under Roman occupation. And a couple days later, Jesus went over to the temple and he was teaching the people. One thing that they didn't like about it, the religious leaders didn't like, was he called out the hypocrisy of phony religion and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. So the religious leaders decided the best thing to do would be to kill Jesus. It's very interesting. Jesus said ahead of time, listen, no one takes my life. I lay it down. Like they're not, they're not, they think they're going to take it from me, but they're really not. And so what happened after that? His followers betrayed him. They deserted him. And then the Jews had a trial, but they could, the religious leaders, that's what Jews usually refers to the religious leaders in the scriptures. They had a trial, but they had, the Romans had taken the death penalty from them. So they had the Romans crucify him on a cross under the charge that he was declaring himself to be a king other than Caesar. On the cross, Jesus yelled out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus experienced what it's like to feel separated from God. And that, my friends, is what hell will be like. But then Jesus yelled out, It is finished. What was finished? Well, remember in chapter 1, the work to save his people from their sins. And because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, he was the perfect sacrifice on the cross, because he died for the sins of the world, anyone who would like to receive the forgiveness of sins and go to heaven, that can be done by turning to God, turning away from your sin and to God and putting your trust in Jesus. Then Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That was Friday when he died. And his body went into the grave. His spirit went to be with his father. And on the first Easter morning, Sunday morning, God rose Jesus from the dead in a physical body. Then something from a human vantage point really, really important happened. An angel and the risen Christ spoke to the women, not the apostles, who had come to the empty tomb. So we backtrack to verse 10. Matthew 28, 10 says this. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Do you know that's probably the most common command in the Bible? Where God says to all of us, do not be afraid. Maybe that's a word for you today. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're a young person and, and you're, you know that you're hearing words like unprecedented and it finally applies. And you look at your parents, and they're trying to keep it together for you, but you know there is some concern in their face that you haven't seen before. 
I remember my dad. My dad was like a rock. But whenever my mom would get sick, my mom had some, uh, several operations when I was quite young, I would see him become somewhat unraveled. Maybe you're seeing that in people that you typically think to be rocks. People that you typically think to be strong in their faith. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell. And so he wants to deliver a message to the apostles. You know, the traitors. The guys who betrayed him. Losers. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Well, you say, why is that so important? Well, we talked about a couple weeks ago when we went through this passage, the, the grace of failure. So sometimes God allows us to fail to get us to come to him in a certain sense of humility to bring our faith to, a, to the place where he wants to take, bring us in the next step. And so notice he calls them brethren. He calls them brothers. He wants them to know that as they come to him and they say, Lord, I'm sorry for how I have betrayed you, how I've forgotten you, how I've deserted you, that he will forgive them and they will be part of his plan. You see, it's out of Jesus' forgiveness of their sins, it's out of Jesus' forgiveness of your sins and of my sins that Jesus sends us to offer the forgiveness of sins to the whole world, to people that we know. These men and women, the Apostle Paul talks about 500 witnesses who saw Jesus alive, will have seen the risen Christ and be tasked with beginning to bring the good news to the world and beyond. You say, beyond what? Beyond their lifetimes. From 2,000 years ago to now to all of us, they have been commissioned. That's why it's the Great Commission. And we are commissioned to tell people that Jesus, the crucified one, is alive. Some of you right about now might be saying, why are you telling us this, Pastor Jim? Uh, we know it, and most of you do. But I know that some of you don't. And I think for our own souls, it's very good to remind ourselves of these things and review these things at a time like this. I think that right now, the, the cross and, the, and all the beatings that went along with it and the death of, of Jesus Christ reminds us that there is meaning to suffering in this life. Even if we don't know what it is. But when God became a man and came and suffered in this world, we certainly can't say he's not acquainted with it or he's not distant from it. No, he knows exactly what it is. And there is meaning to our suffering. There is meaning in the darkness. There is meaning in the unknown of life. We may not know it, but that's a lot of what faith is. And the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that there is more than this life. It reminds us that there is hope beyond the grave for all who put their trust in Jesus. And that's a lot about what the Great Commission is about. To invite some to tell the story. To invite others to hear the story. 
and to invite all of us for the initial time or continually daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes by the minute, to put our trust in Jesus. Now, as we come to verse 16, Matthew skips ahead in time a bit. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. But now they're back in Galilee. Remember, he said, let's go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. And Matthew writes, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Another version says where Jesus had directed them to go or had told them to go. Now, some of you might have heard what I just said. Then the 11 disciples, what I just read, were the 11 disciples. You said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. There's 12 disciples. No, not anymore. There's a sadness here. The 12 disciples have become the 11. The 11 apostles, the 12 apostles have become the 11 apostles because one of them, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Jesus, and hung himself. That is never the answer, friends. Never. Jesus would have forgiven him. Something triggered a complete betrayal in Judas. Even that same night before he betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus washed his feet at the Last Supper. And that did not change his heart. There's an old proverb that a lot of cultures take credit for. It says, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And loved ones, we we need to be very careful because heartache and disappointment can define us in a very, very dangerous way. But they can also bring us to a good place where we are dependent on the Lord and living in his presence. When we think of heartache and disappointment in seasons in which we are in right now, it's interesting, some hate God because of it. Some doubt God because of it. While others call upon the name of the Lord in the midst of it and others worship his name. Like the 12 tribes of Israel, there were 12 apostles. 12 is a perfect number, but 11 is not. And it kind of fits the apostles. Because the apostles at this point in time in their life, even though that was their whole lives, they're really aware that they are an imperfect group. I don't know about you, And while I don't like hypocrisy in the church, I like the fact that the church is full of imperfect people. To be honest with you, it makes me feel like I belong. (laughs) If it was a bunch of perfect people, I would have to leave. You might say to yourself, well, it's been a little while, maybe. Why didn't the apostles just replace Judas? I don't know. Maybe they thought they were done, too. Maybe they thought Jesus is bringing them together to say, guess what? I've got a new group. People are going to be more loyal to me, have better faith, always trust in me, never have any doubts, never betray me, never desert me. Maybe they thought their time with Jesus was done. 
but they, like us, had to learn the, the reality that God uses an imperfect church filled with imperfect people to tell the world about his perfect son. But that's just like Jesus, if you know him. If you don't read the Gospels, and you will probably be very surprised that you, when you focus on the way he speaks and, and focus on who he is speaking to, to those who are downtrodden, he is full of compassion. To those who know they are sinners, he is full of forgiveness. And to those who are full of pride and ultra-religious, they don't get along all that well. And so Jesus calls imperfect people to the kingdom of God. Jesus calls imperfect people to the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus calls imperfect people to the Great Commission. Why? So imperfect people can do something great for God's kingdom. But Judas reminds us and warns us that when we make it all about us, when it's all about me and my faith, and what is God doing for me, that it's no longer the Great Commission. It is now the dangerous situation of being self-centered. So Jesus brings them back home from Galilee. Uh, There's a spiritual reality here. Jesus brings us home to himself before he sends us out to the world. Jesus, interesting, he both loves us and he challenges us. Jesus will make us both feel secure and stretched. That's all part of doing great things for the kingdom of God. You see, if it's not uncomfortable to some extent, then you would easily say that you did it. When it is uncomfortable or beyond your own abilities, then you know that Jesus did it. That's why people often refer to us as the church gathered and the church scattered. And when we come to gather in church, we are home with the family of God, and then we are sent out to the people of the world. And now for a season, we don't know how long, it's just different. I never thought I would say this. Right now we have the grace of technology, (laughs) and God is actually allowing us to spread the gospel in unique and new ways throughout the world and throughout our communities. That's why I encourage you to share these messages with other people. But it's also about what Jesus promised. We read it earlier that we are to go where he sends us. And when we go to where he sends us, we will see him, we will experience him, And we will sense his presence. Except when we don't. And that's where faith comes in. Sometimes we're not always going to feel the presence of God or sense the presence of God. But as we'll see in the weeks to come, Jesus said, I am with you always. And so we believe that promise. Now, Galilee was home for the apostles, but all of this stuff went down in Jerusalem, and it was a very, very long walk home. And you wonder, what was that walk home like? 
I think it gave them some time to, to sort out all the things that had happened. Perhaps this is a time for that in our lives. Is, is some of you, have, I was talking with some people yesterday, and they're like, we're so bored. I'm like, well, sort out your life. This is a time to grow closer to Jesus. Read your Bible. Pray. Read a good book. Remember all that God has given you. And so maybe they were sorting out all that had happened, how, how exactly it came out the way Jesus said it would, and to repent and turn to God and ask for forgiveness of God, of Jesus, of not believing what he said. But by doing what Jesus said to do, just simply taking the next step, walking to Galilee, they were learning that the Christian life is a lifelong walk of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In the weeks to come, we will be talking about this, that the church in America has spent a lot of time on decisions for Jesus, but not on discipleship. And that's what we are called to do. About 20 years ago, Eugene Peterson wrote a book. I absolutely love the title. It's called a long obedience in the same direction with a subtitle of discipleship in an instant society. That's what the Christian life is like. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what the disciples, that's what the apostles, that's what they need to learn. A disciple is simply a learner and follower of Jesus. So if you're one of those people, you're a disciple. And so the apostles need to learn this. And a lot of times it comes through pain, through sorrow, through loneliness, where you get to the bottom of the barrel and the only person there is Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He takes the apostles, he takes other people, he takes you, he takes me, who are so very low In this case, a group of fearful failures. Remember, the religious leaders didn't like them either. And he says, come on up to the top of the mountain and meet with me. Mountains have meant a lot in Matthew's gospel. Uh, In the Old Testament, Matthew, we know, is referred to the Old Testament a lot. We'll call him an Old Testament scholar. In the Old Testament, that's the place where God speaks quite often and the place where God often makes himself known. For Matthew, the mountain was where, in chapter 4, Satan tried to tempt Jesus but failed. In chapters 5 through 7, we studied the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 17, it was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus met with Moses and Elijah who had lived many centuries earlier. I don't know about you, but when it says here in verse 16 that the, uh, verse 16 that the 11 disciples went away to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, I think I would have loved to just listen in on that conversation as they were walking up the mountain. 11 different perspectives. What do you think Jesus is going to do? Oh, well, he loves us. Yeah, but he was also pretty critical of us. You think he's going to fire us? What are we going to do? Perhaps those conversations influenced what we read in verse 17. 
It says, when they saw him. Now, there's a debate here among Bible scholars. We don't really need to know the answer. Uh, Is this only the apostles or are there lots of other people that are there? Are the 500 witnesses there? We don't know. We'll keep our focus predominantly on the apostles. Uh, When they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Probably a better word than doubt might actually be hesitated. So some saw him. They looked in the distance. They saw Jesus coming towards them. And some began to worship. Some doubted. Some hesitated. Now, Matthew, who, by the way, was there when this all happened, this is an eyewitness account, reminds us that there is always a reaction when people encounter Jesus. There's always a reaction if you see with your, the eyes of the spiritual, if you see the risen Christ. When you clearly see Jesus, and this might sound very odd to you if you're not a follower of Jesus, when you clearly see Jesus, the reaction is worship. But for them, remember, they are seeing the one who was dead and now who is alive. Now you say, well, I, some of the other gospel accounts say this happened already. I agree. That doesn't mean you're used to it. We're not used to watching people rise from the dead after three days and walking around in resurrected bodies. And that's what most of them seem to be doing. They seem to be worshiping him. And Matthew makes it clear to us that is the right reaction to Jesus. Well, what does it look like when you worship Jesus? What what, what does that mean? I think, you know, we sing songs a lot of times in church and we say, well, that's the worship section of the service, but we we worship God when when we listen to his word, when we listen to God speak. We worship God when we serve him. We worship God when we serve others, motivated by the fact that Jesus has served us on the cross Perhaps at this time for them, it was falling on their knees. Perhaps it was falling on their faces. Perhaps it was just incredible awe. Let me emphasize for you, this is not going through the motions worship. That's not what he's talking about. This is not trying to look spiritual. This is true adoration of King Jesus. Again, the other Gospels tell us about uh, meetings with the risen Christ and the apostles. John and Luke do. But this particular meeting is Matthew's first and only recording of meeting Jesus by the apostles after they rose from the dead. So to Matthew, after Jesus rose from the dead, so to Matthew, this is extremely important to him. Matthew has shown us, and being one of the apostles, that's why this is important, that they had failed to grasp Jesus all along. But the resurrection started to change them. A lot of times they'd be arguing with Jesus. I know you think the apostles were these super spiritual guys that walked a foot off the ground. That's why I invite you to read the apostles and the gospels. You're like, oh my goodness, look at these guys. But the resurrection started to change them. That's why it's so important that you see the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
And then the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is what will really change them. And the Holy Spirit will come to you when you put your trust in Jesus. Perhaps some of the the location where they met with Jesus too changed them. They went from the danger of Jerusalem to the quiet of home to going up on the mountaintop, knowing full well when you meet God on the mountaintop, things are going to happen. There's going to be adventures. Yet again, we're told here in verse 17 that they worshiped him, but some doubted. Once again, the word could mean hesitated. It doesn't really matter. You sit there and you go, come on, there he is. He's risen from the dead. So why would they doubt? Why would they hesitate? Well, we're not specifically told. It's true that people didn't always recognize the risen Christ in his new resurrected body. And of course, there is the issue of unbelief. But maybe, this is Matthew still writing, we're not into Jesus' words yet, but, but maybe, again, we're not told. So we ask ourselves the same question. Do I worship or do I doubt? Do I worship or do I hesitate? Now, that's a really good way to make people feel guilty, isn't it? That's a really good way to do that. And why I think it's an important question to ask ourselves, I think a much more important thing for us to see is like them, we have to see that Jesus is okay with imperfect faith. You see, I think they doubted themselves. I think they doubted that, that, that they could be loved by God. They had let him down so many times. I think that they thought this was the end of the line. I think they hesitated to even come into God's presence because you've heard a lot of people say, oh, I've been too bad to come into God's presence. I'm too bad for heaven. I'm too bad for Jesus. Friend, you can't be too bad. You can only be too proud. Put yourself in their sandals for a minute. How do you think you will react in the presence of the divine? How would you react if your friend rose from the dead? Not to mention, let's not be too hard on them. Over the past few probably weeks here, could even be a week or so, they have been through an enormously traumatic experience. Right now, don't try and cover it up. Our world, collectively, really, except for a few parts, are in the midst of an enormously traumatic experience right now. I know this doesn't sound very spiritual at all, but sometimes worship and worried 
get really mixed up in our heads and in our hearts. Now, I know some of you are going to write me and say, Pastor Jim, you shouldn't have said that. Worry's a sin. Okay, concern. How's that? You feel better now? Concern and worship can get mixed up in our hearts and our heads. I know that many of you out there listening would say that you believe what Jesus did in the past. But if you're honest with yourself, you doubt, you hesitate to believe that Jesus will do it again. But Jesus knows that, and he still calls you up to the top of the mountain. Jesus knows that, and he still calls you into the kingdom of God. I am not saying that lack of faith is good or it is right. But I am saying maybe in times like this, some of, us are have to, some of us have to admit we're not the spiritual giants that we think we are. And the apostles have come to understand that. The apostle Paul was in jail after Jesus ascended into heaven and he, and he writes this, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Boy, that, 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 that sounds easy, doesn't it? That sounds easy. Some of you right now, even before all of this, were suffering from crippling, crushing anxiety. And now this thing is pushing you over the edge if it hasn't already. You sneeze and you think that you're sick. By the way, half of the Northeast has a cold right now. <laughs> And it's spring allergy season. I'm not making light of anything, but I understand how, how so often people can be filled with anxiety. And the Bible comes along and says, be anxious for nothing. And then he gives us the antidote. But in everything. Oh, God doesn't want to hear that silliness from me. Oh, yes, he does. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. I'm supposed to be thankful for God in the midst of my anxiety? Apparently, yes. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. There'll be something calm in you. You won't even be able to explain will guard your hearts and minds. God will set a guard around your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is saying what here? He's saying, listen, God wants to call you and he wants to call me to a new way of living, a new way of thinking, to a lifestyle where we make a trade with God. We trade our anxiety for prayer. And he trades his peace and takes our anxiety. Interesting, this word doubt, the only other time Matthew uses the word doubt was in chapter 14 when Jesus walked on the water. And there, doubt meant little faith. There the apostles had little faith, but then when Jesus got back in the boat, they worshiped him. Here's the opposite. 
the resurrection led to doubt in the apostles. This is where I love the honesty of the scripture. There's absolutely no reason. It adds nothing to the story for Matthew to tell us that some people doubted and hesitated. It adds nothing. He could have just said they all worshipped and we would have said, ooh, the apostles, wow. But such honesty really encourages me that Jesus still wants to use our lives in a time of crisis, in a time of up and, time, up and down faith, in a time of great need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe, just maybe, the first person we need to share the good news with today is ourselves. Maybe we need to allow faith to crush our fear. Jesus said these words back in John 4, earlier in his ministry to the apostles, John 4, 35. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Don't procrastinate. Don't say, oh, there's plenty of time when the virus is going to be over. But he keeps saying to everybody, when's it going to be over? When's it going to be over? We don't know. Do not say, do not say, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. Once again, to be fair to the apostles, I think in some ways it's fair to say uh, too much has happened to them too fast. They are in shock over what has happened. They thought they lost Jesus. And let's be honest, friends. Sometimes Jesus seems so very, very far away. And we wonder, where are you? And what in the world are you doing, God? There, I said it. Do you feel better now? I know that a lot of times that's in our hearts and in our heads, but, but we don't want those words to come over our lips. Because it makes no sense what's going on. But is it possible that Jesus is telling us that when we follow him and when we trust him, that is the doubt killer we need? Is it possible that Jesus is teaching us that when, when he guards our hearts and our minds and we continue to trust in him, that worry will give way to worship? If that's true, what are the possibilities? Look with me at verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, let's just stop right there. Matthew's words are done. He says, Jesus came and spoke to them. When we trust Jesus, when we worship Jesus, Jesus comes Closer to us, he speaks to us, or we come closer to him, and we're able to hear what he has to say. So how does that work in the life of a believer? 
when people personally meet Jesus, we can sense his love, and that changes everything. And we can never be the same. When you see that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins, you will be motivated by grace, not by duty, to serve Jesus and have a passion in your heart ignited for other people to know this wonderful news. And you say, well, Pastor Jim, that's not me. And that's not the other Christians I know. Well, remember at the beginning I said 51% of people said they never heard of the Great Commission. Perhaps the reality for many people who would call themselves Christians is they need a personal life-changing encounter with Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe that time is now. You say, well, where do I start? If you're not a follower of Jesus, hear his invitation to put your trust in him and start to follow him and start to worship him. And you can do that right now, today, wherever you are. Just say, Lord, I turn to you and I put my trust in you. Again, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them. What did he say? What he said to them is actually some of the most important stuff in all of the Bible and really the reason that Matthew wrote his gospel. And Lord willing, that's what we will look at next Sunday. If you want to learn about Jesus, you certainly want to tune in and I hope you will join us. Let's pray.